It's me again. Hi, how are you guys today? My name is Bailey Sarian and today is Monday, which means it's Murder, Mystery, and Makeup Monday. Hi, if you're new, hi, how are you? I hope you're doing great. Every Monday I sit down and I talk about a true crime story that's been heavy on my noggin and I do my makeup at the same time. If you're interested in true crime and you like makeup, I would highly suggest you hit that subscribe button. Today we're going to be talking about Ted Bundy. So I just have to mention that Ted Bundy, I mean, there are tons of TV shows, TV series, docu-series, movies, books, so many articles and movies and content out there about Ted Bundy and the whole story. So I am just going to keep it kind of simple, I guess, or more just straight to the point, like what he did and that stuff, okay? Yes, just kind of like boom, boom, boom. I tried to lay this out in a way that made sense. At least it made sense in my mind. So I will stop rambling because I do this a lot and let's just jump right into it. Ted, 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 Ted. Ted. So let's start off with his early years, Ted's early years, okay? Eleanor Louise Cowell, who went by Louise, was 22 years old and unmarried when she gave birth to her son, Theodore Bundy. And Ted was born on November 24th, 1946. So he's a Sag. So Louise delivered Ted at a home for unwed mothers in Vermont and later brought her new son to her parents' home in Philadelphia. Now Ted's father may have been a man named Lloyd Marshall, who was an Air Force veteran and a Penn State graduate, according to Anne Rule, a coworker of Ted's. She was also an author of the book, The Stranger Beside Me. Other forces had Ted's father named Jack Worthington, while some rumors had it that his father was also his grandfather. On Ted's birth certificate, there's a little section where you put who the father is. Father was listed as unknown. His biological father's identity honestly may never be confirmed, but there are just a ton of different rumors as far as who it could be, and a lot of speculation as well. Honestly, my thought process process on that whole thing is like, <laughs> I'm sure the father, Ted's biological father, doesn't like want to claim him at this point, you know? So we'll probably never know. And that's fine. It's really none of our business. Now, Ted's mother, her name's Eleanor, like I had mentioned, she was brought up by parents who were very religious and having a baby at 22 years old without a husband, scandalous, you know? Like, I feel like this is very common in a lot of our stories. It was very frowned upon. You just didn't do that, right? And still in some places it is considered still to be scandalous. You just don't do that. Anyways, so to hide the fact that the father was unknown, Ted was raised by his grandparents as an adopted baby. And in his early years, he was led to believe that his mother was instead his sister, which I'm sure was confusing because then as a toddler, Ted and now his mother moved to Tacoma, Washington. It's like one minute that's your sister, the next minute it's like, oh, that's my mom now. Talk about confusing for the poor child. In 1951, Ted's mother, Louise, she would marry a man named Johnny Bundy. And that's how Ted got the last name Bundy. So Ted took his stepfather's last name, but it's said that their relationship was not very good. Ted resented his stepfather for being uneducated and working class, lower to working class, like he wasn't making money. 
but he just didn't like that. But Louise and Johnny would go on to have several children together and just be a little happy family. Now it was said at a young age, Ted was displaying odd fascinations with death, murder, morbid, and gory topics. And it was said at the age of three, he, Ted, was obsessed with knives, like very interested in knives, shiny, sharp. He would be playing with them or he would like to collect them. And this was odd because, well, he was three. Now, as a student, Ted was intelligent and did very well in school, but socially he had a hard time making friends. He uh, struggled being social, but he was overall like a great student. And then when he became a teenager, puberty hit and his behavior started to go off track a little bit there. Way to hire. Ted on his free time would enjoy peeping in people's windows and would often steal things that he wanted without showing any type of remorse or guilt. He would sneak off at nighttime, go look inside somebody's window, watch somebody undress, you know, just being a little perv. And that's illegal too, so don't do that. Kind of similar to the Night Stalker. Remember, if you watched that video, he did the same thing. He was a peeping Tom at a pretty, when he was a teenager, huh? Now, Ted would enroll into the University of Washington, and while there, he met and fell in love with a young lady from California. Ted would say that he was attracted to her because she had everything that he always wanted and desired. She had class, influence, and money, where he came from a family of lower class, no influence, and no money. But the two did start dating. When she decided to end the relationship, he was devastated and later it became apparent that many of his victims resembled her long dark hair and attractive ted would go on to graduate from the university of washington with a degree in psychology in 1972 he had also been accepted to law school in utah but he would never earn his degree you know ted was a pretty smart cookie in 1969 ted began a six-year relationship with a woman named elizabeth who he met at a bar in Seattle. Elizabeth was a single mother of a young daughter and she struggled with alcoholism, but Ted said that he took care of her and she referred to Ted as, quote, warm and loving. By the mid 1970s, Ted had become more outwardly confident and active in social and political matters. Ted even got a letter of recommendation from the Republican governor of Washington after working on his campaign. Many would described Ted as charismatic, kind, empathetic, and quite handsome. Now having all of these personality traits, well, handsome isn't a personality trait, but having all this like mixed together, a bundled pack, um, would actually end up helping him gain people's trust. People loved him. It helped him get victims in his, in what the fuck he was doing. You know what I'm saying? It helped him out a lot. I think honestly, that's why. And yeah, I don't even think, I know. I know that's why people are obsessed with him because he was charismatic, he was handsome. That's pretty much why. And I think that's why people got so obsessed with him. Like how could this handsome guy be responsible for all of these murders? I just can't believe it. Well, I'm here to tell you kid cats, you know, a murderer does not look like a specific thing like we think. There are some murderers who definitely fit that idea of murderer in our minds, but there are a lot who don't. Ted is a great example. You know how normally I do these videos, I kind of go into like the whole story leading up to what happened and whatnot. 
stuff. Well, there's like, look, there's a lot. So I'm just gonna like jump into the murders part. So Ted would later on confess to 36 killings of young women across several states in the 1970s. And experts believe that the final tally of victims may be closer to 100 or more. The exact number of women Ted killed honestly will never be known, unfortunately. His killings usually followed a gruesome pattern. He often raped his victims before beating them to death. And there is some debate as to when Ted started killing. Most sources say that it or he began his murderous rampage around 1974. Around this time, many women in the Seattle area and in nearby Oregon went missing. I mean, a ton of women. Stories circulated about some of the victims last being seen in the company of a young dark haired man known as Ted. You know, I don't know why he didn't think to use a fake name. This Ted guy would often lure his victims into his car by pretending to be injured and asking for their help. And it's sad because their kindness and willingness to help this guy, like it killed them, which is awful. So Ted would often go back to the bodies after he killed them and disposed of them. And being the sicko that he is, he would perform sexual acts, sadly, with the corpses. And it's said that he would continue to do this until the bodies were so decomposed or damaged by wild animals that it was no longer possible to have physical contact with them. So at least 12 of Ted's victims were decapitated and some of their heads were believed to be kept in his apartment for, for a small amount of time. And like many serial killers, um, you know, they keep their trophies, as they call it, something to remember the killing from. But Ted kept the heads as his trophies. It's said that Ted got a great deal of enjoyment reliving his crimes simply by looking at or touching the severed heads of his victims. So I'm gonna read some of his victims that were linked to Ted for sure. I'm not gonna mention their names just because I don't have permission to do so, to use their names. So I just don't feel like it's, I should. Plus, I feel like I, I can't give them victims a proper backstory because there's a lot there's a lot so I just think it's best if I leave their names out of it do you get what I'm saying I hope so these victims were for sure linked to Ted let me grab my book my handy dandy book I guess I could just read some right this is just like a timeline okay timeline of known murders February 1st 1974 a 21 year old woman she was bludgeoned while she was sleeping and a abducted and abducted. Sorry, I don't mean to sound so happy. Her skull and her jawbone were discovered at Taylor Mountain in Sonoma County, California. March 12, 1974, a 19 year old woman was also abducted, but she was walking to a concert. That's when Ted got her, snatched her up, sadly murdered her, and then left her body at Taylor Mountain. She was never found, but Ted claims that he killed her for sure. They never found her though. So it's like, what? Jeez. April 17th, 1974, an 18 year old disappeared while attending a meeting at Central Washington State College. Her skull and her jawbone were found at Taylor Mountain. May 6, 1974, 22 year old. She goes missing from Oregon State University and also her skull was found at Taylor Mountain. June 1st, 1974, we have another 22 year old. Now she disappeared after leaving, it seems to be like a bar. Um, her skull also found at Taylor Mountain. June 11th, 1974, 
1974, an 18 year old abducted from an alley behind her sorority house at the University of Washington. Her skeletal remains were found at Issaquah. Her skeletal remains were found and Ted had given name and description of her. Oh, July 14th, 1974, 23 year old. She was abducted from Lake Sammamish. Sammamish, hey? No? Okay. It's a state park. Um, but she was abducted in broad daylight and her skeletal remains were recovered at Issaquah, Washington. July 14th, 1974, we have a 19 year old and she was abducted four hours after the last or the previous victim. Her skeletal remains were recovered at Issaquah as well. So that's eight that were kind of located in the same area, Taylor Mountain and Issaquah correct? Yes. In the fall of 1974, Ted moved to Utah to attend law school. While there, coincidentally, women just began disappearing. I mean, he was doing work and I don't mean to be funny at all, but it's just kind of crazy how many victims he had. Like, how did he find the time? So Utah, Colorado, and Idaho, there were nine victims that were linked to Ted. And then in Florida, there were three. And as far as possible victims go, there were a ton. I will just read a few. We have October 2nd, 1974. There was a 16 year old who was ambushed, assaulted, and strangled in Holiday, Utah. And of According to Ted, her body was buried near Capitol Reef National Park, which was 200 miles south of Salt Lake City. She sadly had never been found. We have another 17 year old and she vanished after leaving school in Bountiful, Utah. Only her kneecap was found, but it was never formally identified as belonging to this victim. It was in the location that Ted said it was, but they couldn't connect it to the victim's Ted said it was. June 28th, 1975, there was a 15 year old and she disappeared during a youth conference. Oh geez. And according to Ted, her body was buried near Prince, Utah, which was 75 miles southeast of Provo, but she has never been found. And the list goes on, man. There's just so many. A lot of the women that were linked to Ted was because Ted came forward, well, talked to detectives when he was in prison and told them, you know, who they were and where they were at. A lot of them just weren't found. And if they think they found them, it would just be bits and pieces of their remains, but not enough to actually link them or identify them. So it's like, they were just trusting his word, which is like, why would they, why? I don't know. I guess they have to trust the the killer. I mean, they have no one else to trust in that situation. So in 1974, Elizabeth, remember the lady that Ted was dating at the time? Now she started to suspect that Ted was just up to no good. She's got that feeling. We all get it, that intuition. Something is not right. Huh. Elizabeth kind of, you know, would snoop around and question things like, where did this come from? I don't remember him having this. She even went through his desk and he had a meat cleaver in his desk. And she would ask him like, why do you have a meat cleaver in your desk? Ted, he used his charm to deflect. Deflect, deflect, deflect. He just reassured her everything's fine, everything's good. Meat cleaver, <laughs> never heard of her. But she just knew deep down that something wasn't right. That sucks. When you think about it, cause a lot of times like, oh, I couldn't imagine if you were, let's just say, side note, let's just say you're married to a killer. Oh, that would fucking suck. Like when you really think about it, like what, it, you know how sometimes when you read about a killer or watching a whatever about a killer and they're married and you're like, 
how did you not know that he was doing something like that? Like naturally we wanna question them, like how did you really not know? But what if you really didn't know? And then all this comes out in the news and everyone's judging you, like yeah bitch, sure, you didn't know. Like that sucks. Someone you love, someone you cared about, you spent all these years with is a killer. I believe that she really, she didn't know what was going on. She had that deep down feeling. She thought some things he was doing was really suspicious. But for the most part, I don't think she knew that he was, I don't think she actually knew what he was doing. Married to a killer. That sucks. Something deep down was telling Elizabeth that, you know, Ted was responsible for all these women who are just going missing. She would end up going to police with her suspicion of Ted's involvement in the local murders, but they didn't believe her that he was indeed the killer. And the two of them would end up remaining together, but they did grow pretty distant when Ted moved to Olympia the following year. And then in 1975, Elizabeth went to police again, this time with evidence that helped them to arrest Ted. Now, I guess Ted had called Elizabeth up and he had confessed to her over the phone from his prison cell that he had tried to kill her and couldn't resist his impulses when he felt, quote, his sickness building in him, end quote. She broke ties with Ted for good and she ended up writing a book about it, about her experience with Ted and it was titled The Phantom Prince, My Life with Ted Bundy. Um, there's also a series on it, I believe on Amazon or was it a movie? So I mentioned that he got, he was called from a prison cell. I know I'm kind of jumping around, but caught. Okay, so let's talk about how he got caught. So on August 16th, 1975, Ted failed to stop at a routine traffic stop and was caught and arrested by the Utah Highway Patrol officer in Salt Lake City. So this police officer pulls Ted over, not knowing who is in the car. And he comes up to the car and he's looking at the passenger seat. And he notices that the passenger seat is missing. Okay, like why? Why is your passenger seat missing? Who has a missing seat? <sighs> so he's looking, he's asking Ted, like, why is your seat missing? I know you didn't buy it like that, sir. The officer asked Ted to step out of the vehicle. And while the officer is searching uh, Ted's car, that's when he comes across what he called a quote, murder kit, end quote. A murder kit. The items found included a mask made from pantyhose, a ski mask, handcuffs, rope, an ice pick, a crowbar, and a trash bag, as well as, well, trash bags. Let me correct myself there, trash bags, as well as a number of tools. Well, like, you know, the ice pick, a hammer, tools. Mm-hmm. So the police officer's like, if this doesn't scream, I'm doing something bad, then I don't know what does, you know? Like this is the biggest red flag I've ever seen in my life. Thank God this officer didn't let him go like most officers in previous stories may have done. So the officer was like, hey buddy, I know you're not playing a game of Clue, okay? This is real life. What is all this? And Ted's trying to explain why he has all these items. He's like, these are just normal items that I had in my house. I'm bringing them back to my apartment. Like, it's not a big deal. It just happens to look that way. Ted was known to be very charming. He could talk his way out of just about anything. I was about to say, I'm sure we've all met somebody like that, but maybe you haven't. I know I have for sure. I used to work with people like that who could just talk their way out of anything. Probably because I worked retail and sales all my life. So I met a lot of people like that. You know, sellers, closers, 
Ted was like that. Anyway, so he's telling the officer like, yeah, I'm just taking this stuff back to my apartment. Like, it's not a big deal. I mean, don't you have a homemade mask out of pantyhose, officer? Oh my God. But luckily this police officer remembered the description of the car and suspect from a kidnapping in November of the previous year. And this description and the car, it matched Ted exactly. Good thinking officer, you know? Best kept secret in beauty. Off your first Manny system. So the officer tells Ted, yeah, you're under arrest and arrests him. And after Ted was arrested, his apartment was then searched. But oddly enough, when they searched his apartment, they didn't find anything at that time. I don't know where a lot of it was, but it wasn't there at his apartment because they didn't find anything. Ted was released and put on a 24 hour surveillance. I mean, if we exclude what we know now, at the time it was like, we don't have anything on this guy. They can't hold him without any evidence, you know? They were doing what they had to. So during this period, detectives would then interview his previous girlfriend, Elizabeth, remember? And she was up in Seattle. She said that before Ted had moved to Utah, she came across some very odd items in her apartment, but also at Ted's home. And they were like, go on because we couldn't find shit. She said that she found a bag of white, dry, mixed plaster of Paris, crutches, surgical gloves, a sack of women's clothing, and a meat cleaver. So she's telling detectives all this. Now she would go on to say that Ted, he was in debt. Like throughout his, his whole adult life, he was constantly in debt. He never really had much money to his name and he seemed to steal everything that he possessed. Uh, when she, Elizabeth, confronted him about a new TV and a stereo that he, he had gotten, she's like, where the hell did you get that? Well, I'm sure she didn't say that. She's asked him though, like, where did you get this? He warned her and said, quote, if you tell anyone, I'll break your fucking neck, end quote. So she's like, all right, you know, like shit, she's just asking. She also said that Ted would become very upset whenever she considered cutting her hair. And her hair, it was very long, brown, and it was parted down the middle, just how Ted liked it. And a lot of his victims had longer hair. So she told detectives this, like he just got mad whenever I wanted to cut my hair. And then obviously he was stealing shit, but I don't know where he was getting the shit. So at that time, Ted was driving a Volkswagen Beetle. When he got arrested, they had to, you know, they went through his apartment and stuff and they also needed to retrieve his Volkswagen Beetle, which Ted had sold to just a young teenager, which was like an easy way to get rid of it, you know? So they went and they got the Volkswagen Beetle and they were quite lucky actually because the new owner hadn't done any like deep cleaning and they put it under forensic testing. They found hairs in the vehicle that matched to three different women who I think two of them were missing. One of them was still alive and they were able to get the, the victim that was still alive. She had escaped Ted's attempt to kidnap and murder her and she was going to press charges, right? Ted was then put in a lineup and he was with some other men and they brought in this victim who had escaped and they asked her to point out, is any of these men the one who attempted to kidnap you? And she was able to point Ted out right away. And she said that Ted pretended to be quote, Officer Roseland, end quote. And she was certain that Ted was the man that took her. For some gross reason, despite being charged with aggravated kidnapping and attempted criminal assaults from the victim who got away, Ted was let out of jail once again on bail. Awesome. Usually that goes so great, you know? 
I mean, how many chances does this guy get? So Ted, while he was out, he was just kind of doing his own thing, but then he was brought back in in February of 1976 for the case of the woman who had escaped and was found guilty. He was sentenced to up to 15 years in prison on June 30th, 1976. Now this is just for the one woman who had escaped. This was not for any of the other murders or anything he had done. This is just for the one lady, which is great. Like they caught him 15 years prison while he's in prison, at least he's there and we can get him for all the other stuff that he did. But Ted had remained in prison only up until October of 1976, because that's when he was able to escape prison and make a run for it. Very rare that you hear about people escaping prison, you know? Ted was then found not long after hiding in some bushes out on the prison grounds. And once he was caught, he was sent to solitary confinement and he would be in there for several weeks, which that will make you definitely lose it. That same month that Ted was able to escape from prison, he was charged with the murder of a woman in Aspen and he was transferred for the trial and chose to represent himself in court, meaning he was excused from being handcuffed or shackled. Pretty So at one point, Ted had asked to visit the law library, which was located in the courthouse so he can conduct research for his case. And he was given permission. Cue eye roll. Uh, I mean, I think legally they have to, right? I don't know. Okay, anyways, Ted noticed once he entered the library that or somebody had left open a window, okay? So in this room he's in, he notices, oh, the fucking window was open. (laughs) When everyone left the room, it was just him for a split second. He jumped out of the second story window and escaped. He would end up being recaptured, but it wasn't until eight days later. This wasn't the last time he would attempt to escape either. He kept escaping. Okay, and then there was another time in December, Ted would escape from custody again. He climbed out of a hole he made in the ceiling of his cell. Now he was dedicated. I guess he he really had nothing else to do, but he dropped more than 30 pounds so he could fit through the small opening he had made in the ceiling of his cell. At night, Ted would practice climbing through it and navigating the crawl space. He was able to break free on December 30th, 1977. Ted piled books on his bed and covered it with a blanket so it just looked like he was sleeping on his bed if somebody walked by. (laughs) Then he climbed through the ceiling hole. He then dropped down into the chief jailer's apartment who luckily, he just seems to be full of luck, this guy, but this man just happened to be out for the night. So Ted drops into the apartment and stole his clothes and then just walks out the front door. I'm laughing because it's just so stupid. I guess he's smart. He's smart or everybody's just dumb. Ted was missing for 15 hours, which gave him a big head start. Holy shit, that's a long time, 15 hours. It just now clicked. When you really think about it, that's a full day they thought he was sleeping in his bed. Books are kind of like have hard edges. How did that look like a person? Whatever. One of Ted's most brutal attacks occurred on January 15th, 1978, while he was on the run after escaping jail. In the early hours of the morning, he made his way into Florida State University sorority house. And at around 2.45 a.m., he attacked a 21-year-old woman with a piece of firewood as she was sleeping in her bed. He then used a nylon stocking to strangle her. And then when she passed, he moved on and he went to another sleeping 20-year-old woman's room and Ted beat her until she was unconscious, then strangled her. With this victim, he tore off um, one of her nipples and then bit her her 
butt, her buttocks, and assaulted her sexually with a bottle. The bite mark left on this victim would would actually, I don't want to say it was a good thing, but in a way, good thing, because it would later prove Ted's connection to these murders in the first place, because he left a mark and they were able to prove that these were Ted's teeth later on in court, which is like so random. No, I fucking life is just crazy, right? Like this is some crazy shit. Once he was done with this victim, he went into the bedroom next door and Ted attacked the two women who were asleep in there. One of the women had her jaw broken and her shoulder was like almost cut off. And the other woman received a concussion, a broken jaw, a broken finger, and some of her teeth were knocked out. All four women were attacked within 15 minutes. So it was really quick. I mean, really quick. After fleeing from the sorority house, Ted broke into an apartment and attacked another woman student from the university. She suffered a dislocated shoulder, a broken jaw. Her skull was fractured in five places and she was left permanently deaf. She luckily survived. On February 9th, Ted kidnapped and murdered a 12 year old girl and then fled. These crimes marked the end of his murderous rampage because once again, Ted was pulled over by a police officer on February 15th. He stole a vehicle and he's driving and he's trying to get anywhere, right? He's making a run for it. Police pulled him over and when they ran the plates, they saw that this vehicle was marked as stolen. So when the officer came back to Ted and informed him that he was under arrest, Ted flipped. He's like, I don't wanna go back to jail. He kicks him and then he runs off. The police officer fired two warning shots rare, then chased him. He caught up to Ted and he tackled him. They struggled, they fought, but luckily this officer was able to get Ted under arrest. Thank God, finally, you know? Well, I mean, how many chances did this guy get? He got too many chances. Once they placed Ted under arrest, they searched the vehicle again. And inside the vehicle, they see three sets of IDs belonging to women from the Florida State University. It was the woman that he just attacked. They also found 21 stolen credit cards and a stolen television set. <laughs> like, where is he going with that? Like, where are you going? Why take the TV at that point? You know, like you're not, okay. While in prison, because he was under arrest, taken to prison. While in prison in February of 1980, there was a woman named Carol Ann Boone. She was a mother of two, Ted and Carol. They both had dated before his initial arrest. And in the courtroom during the penalty phase of his trial, he proposed and she accepted in the presence of the judge, making the marriage legitimate in Florida. So the two of them got married. The couple had met six years earlier when they both worked at the Department of Emergency Services. And then Carol gave birth to um, a daughter and her name was Rose in 1982. And Ted was listed as the father of this baby. Not much is known about Rose today. Honestly, I mean, like just leave it alone, you know? Unless they wanna speak, has she spoke? No, I don't think so. I just don't look up the kids and whatnot. I don't know, uh, you can always feel free to dig around, but I just don't wanna put out there on my channel like like the kid, you know, you know? Okay, anyways. So um, Carol eventually, eventually it took her some time, but she realized that Ted actually was guilty of all these crimes. She's like, oh my God, you really did do it, you sicko. And then she ended up divorcing him three years prior to his execution, according to her book. Her book is called A Stranger Beside Me. She stopped 
stopped visiting Ted during the last two years of his imprisonment. And then in June of 1979, Ted would stand trial for the homicides and assaults that had taken place at the sorority house. The ones that he did when he escaped prison, remember? We talked about it a couple minutes ago. The trial was covered by 250 reporters from five continents and was the first to be televised nationally in the US. I know, because we needed that. On February 10th, 1980, Ted was sentenced to death by electrocution. As the sentence was announced, he reportedly stood up and shouted, quote, tell the jury they were wrong, end quote. Now he was sentenced to death, but it wouldn't be carried out until nine years later. So for nine years, he sat in in prison. Ted confessed to two detectives from Idaho, Utah, and Colorado that he had committed numerous additional homicides, including several that were unknown to the police. So Ted would admit that there were other remains and other victims buried in Colorado. And he was telling this to detectives and investigators while he's in prison. And when they would ask, well, can you tell us where? Can you tell us who? Can you tell us what? You know, can you elaborate? Ted refused to. And in cases where he did give details, nothing was found. And it was believed that Ted would come forward with new information about other victims as a way to push back his execution date further and further. He was just buying himself more time. They can't kill this guy when he has all this information. Ted would eventually be put in the electric chair on January 24th, 1989. He was 42 years old. Now many people celebrated when it was announced Ted was dead. People sang, danced, and set off fireworks across the street from the prison as the execution was carried out. Then they cheered loudly as the hearse like drove off from the prison to carry Ted to wherever he was going. People are cheering, holding up their little you know, his body was cremated in Gainesville and his ashes were said to be scattered at an undisclosed location in Washington state. Ted remains or remained a suspect in several unsolved homicides and is likely responsible for others that may never be identified, which is fucking awful. That's where I get really torn about the death penalty, especially in a case like this. Like, yeah, he deserves to, to die and to suffer for what he did. But if there's still a lot of information they can share, it's like, shouldn't you try and get that out? I mean, they try, whatever. He's dead, not much we can do about it. During a conversation in 1987, he confided in the county detective that there were some murders he would never ever talk about because they were quote, too close to home, too close to family, or involved, quote, victims who were very young. In 2011, Ted's DNA profile was added to the FBI's database for future reference in hopes to close other unsolved murder cases. Also, Ted's 1968 Volkswagen Beetle was displayed in the National Museum of Crime and Punishment in Washington, DC. Now it's currently at the Alcatraz East Crime Museum in Tennessee. So you can go there and see his Volkswagen. There are many, many many, 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 many books, movies, TV series, docu-series, documentaries, interviews. There's a shit ton um, about Ted, his story. There are some from his surviving victims as well. And that my friends is just a little snippet about Ted Bundy. He was very awful. He was really gross. Unfortunately, we'll just probably never get closure as far as how many victims he had, how many there were, where they are. Like that sucks. That sucks. Ted also has become not an icon, maybe an icon. He has a lot of fans. He has a lot of fans. Just like with um, the Night Stalker and Jeffrey Dahmer, lots of fans. You know what's 
kind of interesting to me. Ted Bundy and the Night Stalker, they had very similar stories. They liked the attention, they liked the media, and they, I think they just overall enjoyed the spotlight, right? Anyways, I wanna say a big thank you to you guys for hanging out with me today. I hope you have a wonderful day today. You make good choices. Please, please, please be safe out there. I would say be careful, like don't talk to strangers, but I feel like a lot of his victims were just trying to like be nice and, and just help him, you know, which is so sad. Cause it's like, I don't wanna say don't be nice to people. Listen to your intuition, I, I don't know. Oh shit. Anyways, please be safe out there and I'll be seeing you guys later. Bye.